Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today we want to look at Psalm 39. Psalm 39 is an unusual psalm. It is not about righteousness, nor asking God to help in trouble, nor a praise psalm. Rather, it is a psalm that dis- that where the psalmist discovers himself. It's a psalm on self-discovery. Let's look at Psalm 39 then. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm. But the psalmist brutally examines his life, the frailty of his life, the ease of sinning in his life. And God, then even as we meditate on this psalm, we ask that you help us also to examine ourselves, to allow you to examine ourselves and to discover who we are and what we are like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 39 I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me, for I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give me ear give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalmist in this psalm talks about efforts to tame his tongue, efforts to calm his spirit, to be calm and gentle before others. He says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue, will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. What the psalmist had resolved in his mind and in his heart was that he would not rebut an opponent, that he would be careful in his words when he was in the presence of the wicked. Basically, when the wicked attacked him or hurt him, he would not fight back, he would not lash out with his tongue. He had determined that he would keep silent, he would keep a serene composure. But what did the psalmist discover? He says in verse 2 and 3, I was mute and silent, I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. Indeed, the psalmist was able to keep silent. But silence did not keep anger away from him. So rather than lashing out in anger, the anger within him burned and seethed and 
just boiled over like a volcano blasting out at the end. The psalmist made a very important discovery that no effort, no rest, resolve could change the heart. He could change the outer parts. He could keep silent. He could even smile perhaps at his opponent. He could even maybe force some nice words. But what he could not control was the deep fire within him that was burning and seething, waiting to explode. This was a very important discovery for the psalmist. When he discovered that what is outward, his outward behavior could be controlled, but he could not control that which was inside. It's an important lesson for all of us. We can make rules to govern behavior. We could make laws that tell people you can do this or you can do that. And that is sometimes effective if people are compliant and willing to obey. But what that cannot do is to change the heart. And if it is the heart that we need to change, then rules and laws and rigor and resolve will not change that. Which is why Jesus also said that you say do not commit adultery, but when you look at a woman, blasphemy you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, Jesus wasn't simply tightening the rules. What Jesus was making plain to the Pharisees was this, that you can bluff, you can try every way you can, you can control your um, your your actions and your words, but you cannot ref uh, you cannot refrain from sinning in your heart. And so then Jesus said to you, you say you do not murder, but when you hate your brother inside, so it was like the psalmist was keeping silent all the while, and yet deep inside he was seething with anger, and resentment and re revenge. You know, in the church, throughout the church, we have made a lot of draconian laws, thinking that by having laws we can control the lives of people. We have had, I know a church, actually I have personal experience of a church, that actually decided to lock the doors sharp at the time of worship sharp and say, no one who comes late will be allowed in. But you know, you can't change a life that way. You can't change a life by legislating rules in church or even in, in the nation. You can only change the heart when God changes the heart. And the psalmist made this very startling discovery. Hard as he might try, he could not change. We may also make a further discovery. For example, just recently, I, I thought that I was always very peace-loving and jovial and fun until I realized in self-discovery self that that wasn't me. That was because I was simply conflict-averse. It wasn't because it was peace-loving. It was simply that I was scared of conflict. It was that I was scared of being sad, and so I tried to make happy. But these are outward things because deep inside, we are not changed at all. Deep inside, we may still be seething with anger, even when we look conciliatory. Deep inside, we may look happy, but that may simply be because we are afraid of looking sad. It was an important discovery for the psalmist. And I pray too that over time each of us will also discover how 
frail we are in our morality, that we actually have largely changed our behaviour but have not changed our hearts. It is a humbling discovery, but it is necessary. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, Lord, make me know my end in verse 4. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. The psalmist then asks God to reveal to him how frail he is, how fleeting he is. That that may take away all his illusions, all his grandeur, grandiose thoughts. Very often we think that we can do a lot of things. Sometimes we do it in God's name and sometimes we really obey. But so often we think of grandiose activities and grandiose achievements because we think we can achieve much. The psalmist begins to discover he can't. He is frail. He is like a shadow. In verse 6 it says, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. We fight, we argue, we fight battles, we bicker with each other in nations, in the church, within the family, we fight for our rights and our ways, forgetting that we are really nothing. We achieve very little in all this turmoil. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. And then of course, he says, yeah, when we accumulate wealth, for that matter, when we accumulate um, reputation, none of these were worth anything. I used to visit a man who was so rich, so, so rich, you couldn't believe it. He had several houses and one of just one of his bungalows was renting out at $60,000 a month. Can you believe the size of that bungalow? This man was just overflowing with wealth and he, he lived in a huge mansion, many, many rooms. I think there were like 12 rooms or something. But then his mother fell sick, had stroke. His wife had dementia. Eventually, he too had stroke. When I visited, it was a sad sight because in this huge mansion, three of them were lying side by side in the same room, in just one small room. Three of them, three beds, side by side. And I thought to myself, this huge mansion could have housed so many people. He could have enjoyed so much with all his wealth, or he could have given so much with all his wealth. But here he was, towards the later part of his life, three persons paralyzed, lying side by side in one single room. And I thought then about the futility of life and of our wealth. We accumulate so much, but how much of it is really worth anything? And then the psalmist also says, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. We imagine we can do very much. The reality is that our lives are short. The things that we achieve are also small in comparison. None of these are of any significance to God. And yet that's the paradox. Because we read about the story of the boy with the two fish and five loaves, that with that meagre amount, without grand illusions of grandeur, without thinking that he could feed many people, he brought his two fish and five loaves just to God. And Jesus turned it into food for 5,000 and more. And that's the reality too. 
that instead of in our lives trying to achieve a lot, gather a lot of money, make a big name for ourselves, and turn and look at all that we have achieved and said, look how much I've done. Rather to say, God, these little bits that I give, I give my best because I see the people in need. I see the people who are hungry. I see the people who need to be taught. I see the people who need to be led. And I step up and I do that work. Realizing that each of our lives is not significant at all, the span of life is too short to do anything, and even if we did great things, they wouldn't last very, very long. I think of many people who try to make a name, a reputation for themselves, like the, like politicians like Donald Trump or Putin, trying to make a legacy for themselves, and I think, how foolish can we be? How much of a name can we make for ourselves before we die? and before our name also dies with us. The lesson for us then, self-discovery, is to realize that we are no big deal. We live our lives simply, but simply to help others and to meet a need that comes to us. And then, the psalmist makes a further discovery. He says, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Deliver me from all my transgressions. In many other psalms, the psalmist is praying that he will God will deliver him from transgressions of others, from the harm of enemies. But here he realizes that perhaps his biggest enemy is himself. That while we have people who are against us, while we have enemies, but we also need to realize that often we are our worst enemy. And this is one of the biggest self-discoveries one can have. That often the problems are not with people outside or people everywhere. The problem lies within us. The psalmist says, Lord, deliver me from my transgressions. And then he goes on and he talks about the discipline of God. He knows that God will discipline him. He says, When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Psalmist knows that there are times when God may remove the things that are dearest to him. But here's one misconception I want to correct. Sometimes we think that it's because God is jealous. Anything that we love more than God, God will destroy. Not true at all. God is not a petty God. God is a very generous, forgiving, loving God. But yes, God will remove the things that will harm you. Imagine your child loving a toy more than you. You think you care. You're so happy that your child loves the toy because you gave it to him. And if he loves the toy and gives you less attention, sure, of course, if he's loving the toy and refusing to study, you remove it. But that's for his good because you don't want him to fail his exams. But can you imagine if your son picked up a knife and said, this is a great toy, let's play with it. Sure, you jump on him, snatch the, the knife out of his hands and put it away. Now that knife may be something that your kid loves very much. But you're removing it not because you're jealous that he loves the knife more than you. You remove the knife because he will harm himself with the knife. I mean, I read occasionally, actually quite frequently now, of little kids in America, taking guns and killing themselves or killing their brothers by accident. 
If these were the toys, would the parent not snatch the toy out of the child's hand? But God does not take something precious to you simply because you love it very much. That's not God's nature. But He will take it away when it endangers your life and when it destroys your future. And so the psalmist tells God, God, please don't just be harsh in your discipline. But we know too that God is not harsh in his discipline. God is gentle in his discipline unless what we do threatens our life and it needs to be urgently taken away. But to be sure, God will discipline us. To be sure, God will gently transform our lives, taking away our transgressions. Because God loves us. And then verse 12, he says, Hear my prayer, o Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. The psalmist realizes that he is far from perfect. Far, far, far from perfect. But he is in an alien land, walking through it. And he asks that God will look at his troubles and have mercy on him. Over these years, I've realized so much that I'm not anywhere near, none of us is anywhere near the person that God wants us to be. What seems to be good in proving in us is often just um, superficial, something that we do. The transformation of the heart is so much harder and so much slower. And I've begun to be pa learn to be more patient with myself, and with one another, that this journey of change, journey of life to perfection, is a hard one, and we are not anywhere near past the beginning. But it's okay, because God hears our cries, and He comes to us with our tears. And then He says, Look away from me that I may smile again. Psalmist realizes that if he were scrutinized by God, it would be complete trouble because he's nowhere near perfect. The reality is that God doesn't always stare at our faults. He comes to us, he accepted us, even while we were sinners and gave his son to die for us. God is not an exacting taskmaster. He leaves us in peace much of the time. But he comes to discipline us when we are willing to be disciplined. He comes to discipline us when we open ourselves to him coming. He disciplines us when we do things that endanger our lives. God is a merciful God, but he will transform our lives. Because when we realize how frail we really are, we would really plead with God to change our lives. It is good, perhaps, to take time to allow God to show us, to allow ourselves to discover what we are like, because then we will realize how frail we are and that there is no room for us to be arrogant, to be proud, but that we will turn to God that he may have mercy on us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this psalm psalm that leads us to 
examine ourselves, to discover ourselves, to discover that we are nowhere near perfection, perhaps nowhere near even past the starting point. But Father, you are patient with us. You're patient with us who are mere mortals of breath and a shadow. You're patient with us who are so susceptible to transgression and to sin. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even in your patience you mould us, transform us. Help us then to be patient with ourselves, more importantly to be patient with one another, knowing that as you work slowly in our lives, you also work in the lives of those around us. But also knowing that as much as we struggle, we struggle with the reality of sin, those around us also struggle with the reality of their sin, that we can come together as fellow sojourners to lift each other up. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for turning in and turning on, and have a really good week. God bless you. Goodbye.